chapter 12. I did speak with Brother Greg yesterday, and uh, he was telling me about the number of deaths your church has experienced just in a 24-hour period, and he wanted to call and let me know uh, so I could be praying. And you all know you have a special pastor, right? Um, he, you can't turn off a pastor's heart. And even though he was away on vacation, he was thinking about you and praying for you. And I'll I, I tell you what, uh, Greg is a gift. He's a gift. Uh, some, somebody once said to me, God gifts two men and God gives gifts as men. And one of, Greg is one of those gifts, so we appreciate it. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Scripture says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you this morning already for what our hearts have felt, our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this church and the witness that she has, not only across this state, but even across the country. Uh, thank you for her pastor. Thank you for the opportunity I have this morning to proclaim your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dean Carnazes may be the most amazing athlete that you've never heard of. Has anybody here heard of Dean Carnazes? Dean Carnazes is what's known as an ultra marathon runner. Now, have any of you ever run a marathon? All right, so far, well, you have. Oh, God bless you. I thought about it once for about a minute. Dean Carnazes is an ultramarathon runner, and what that means is he goes beyond a marathon. So how far beyond? Here's some of the things that he's done. He ran 350 miles in 8 hours and 44 minutes without sleep in 2005. He ran a marathon to the South Pole in minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit temperature without snowshoes. And what I think is the most amazing thing this guy has done, he ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. I had to take a nap just after reading this stuff. I'm like, this is just crazy kinds of stuff. I, I have to admit, I, I've never loved 
distance running because one of the reasons is when I played sports, distance running was always something you had to do maybe as a punishment. So in football, if we got in trouble for something, we had to run laps. In wrestling, I had to run uh, to lose weight. So I never really enjoyed running. But obviously, Dean Carnazes loves running. The Bible compares the Christian life to a marathon. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, when they met in Miletus as Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. He said, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then in his last correspondence we have in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. The race that we're talking about in the Christian life, again, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And some of you have been in this race a long time. A marathon, if you know anything about it, uh, is uh, 26.5 miles. Always wondered what those bumper stickers were on the back of cars that said 26.5. You ever see those? That's what that is, like 26.5 or... 26.2, actually, I think it is, 26.2, because a half marathon is 13.1. I like the sticker that says, no thanks, I'm good, All right? But uh, uh, 26.2 miles, a marathon. And marathons typically aren't run over just flat land, just one level. There's a hills, there's valleys, and that's pretty much the way it is as a Christian life, isn't it? The thing that you need to run a marathon well is endurance. The thing that we need to live the Christian life well is endurance. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, running with endurance. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people that are in, in a time of persecution, a time of suffering, and some of them are tempted to quit. Just too hard. It's not what they thought it would be. Some of them are tempted to turn back, to go back into Judaism. That's why so much of Hebrews draws people's attention to the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you've got something that's better. Jesus is better than the angels. Uh, Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Through Christ, we have a better covenant. When you come to chapter 11, we have what's known to many of us as the Hall of Faith. And you, you read the stories of these people from the Old Testament that lived out their faith, that endured, that ran the race well, and we can draw encouragement from them. And then we come to chapter 12. 
which is a challenge to us. So this morning, what I've come to do is really, I've, I, hopefully, is an encouragement to you, a challenge to you, to run with endurance, to run well, to finish well. As I said, many of us are far along in this, uh, in this race. But we want to finish strong, right? We don't want to just coast across the, the finish line. What I want to do this morning is give you three disciplines from Scripture that I think will help you to run with endurance. And the first discipline is this. Be inspired by the faithfulness of others. Be inspired by the faithfulness of others. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, as I said in the 11th chapter, is, is calling our attention to some of those who've run the race and finished the race. And he paints this picture like we're in an arena or in a stadium. Seeing we're encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, many years ago, I had the opportunity to stand on the floor, on the, on, on the ground level of Riverfront Stadium. Now, some of you have no idea even what that is. That's before Great American Ballpark, okay? Riverfront Stadium, and that's where my idols played, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and George Foster, and so I got to kind of stand there. We were at a Promise Keepers conference, and I just looked around and imagined what would it have been like to play baseball here with these, fan, these stands filled with fans. Well, think about us living our Christian life, and then the stands are not so much fans, but those who have gone before us, those who've lived out the Christian faith, and who are a witness to the faithfulness of God. Maybe you're here this morning, and uh, maybe you just feel like, I've been working so hard, and I've been trying so hard in the ministry that God's given me. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, or maybe you're a vacation Bible school worker, maybe you're some other involved in some other ministry, you say, I've been working so hard and it seems like I get such little fruit. Well, look in the stands and there you see Brother Noah. And Brother Noah would say, I, I understand, I get it. Ministered for 120 years, just saw a handful of people saved, but that handful of people was my family. Uh, you might be here this morning and you say, I... I'm just at a place in my life and in my walk with Christ, I, I don't know where I'm going. I pray and I seek God's face and it seems like the heavens are like brass. Well, there we see Brother Abraham. Brother Abraham, I understand. I get it. God called me out of Ur of the Chaldees. I was 75 years old. He called me into a land and I said, God, where are we going? He said, I'll let you know. Maybe you feel like, I, Brother Randy, I'm just old and I'm tired and I, I just don't have the strength to do what I think God wants me to do. Well, there's Sister Sarah. And Sister Sarah said, you know what, I get it. I was 90 years old when I had my first baby. And finally, some of you might be thinking, I, I, Brother Randy, it seems like I'm having to give up so much. It seems like God's asking me to surrender so much to follow him. 
Well, there's Brother Moses. And Brother Moses said, hey, listen, I, I understand. I, I, I was a Pharaoh's sister's son. And uh, I, I forsook it all. Counted all that wealth, all those riches, as nothing for the riches of following God's plan for my life. See, we can look at the scriptures and we can be inspired by the faithfulness of those gone before us. But I, I think not only the scriptures, think about Christian history, I think about Polycarp of Smyrna. Uh, Poly, Polycarp was a, a bishop. He was 86 years old, and they came to take him away uh, to, kill, uh, to kill him because he said, I will not recant. I will not say Caesar is Lord. And he said, 80 and 6 years I have served him. How can I deny him now? It was said when they took Polycarp to the stake where they would burn him that the Roman soldiers were even crying. I think of others that I have known in my Christian life that have gone on before me. People I've known, pastors that have gone on, pastors who have taught me. I think of people in our day, contemporary day, people like Billy Graham. Missionaries like Adoniram Judson. And I even think of people like your pastor. I, I, I'm inspired by the faithfulness of your pastor. And I'm inspired by the faithfulness of this church. And what God is doing and continues to do here. So one of the ways that, that we can keep from getting despondent and keep from wanting to quit is be inspired by the faithfulness of others you can do this in a number of ways reading the scriptures reading the biographies of, of people from christian history looking at the lives of those that are around you there's a lot of ways that you can do this but can i add an additional challenge not only be inspired but be an inspiration be an inspiration to someone not for your glory but for the glory of god because, folks, somebody's watching your life. I remember I had a co-worker when I was a young Christian working in construction. And I was about 20 years old at the time and, and, and kind of struggling in my walk with Christ. And I was sent to a job, and there was a man named Paul Napier. Paul Napier was a Christian. And he, just, he, he was one of those Christians that quietly yet strongly lived out his faith on the job site. And so I, I kind of became a friend with Paul and, 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 and got to know Paul. God worked it out that a number of years later when I was called into the ministry and I was getting ready to go to Bible college that I had one last job to go to in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And who was on that job but Paul Napier? And I had the opportunity to tell Paul what a difference that his witness made to me. Be inspired, but also be an inspiration to others because it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's tough. Well, there's a second discipline I want us to look at is not only be inspired, but be free. Be free from the entanglements of life. The writer of Hebrews said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. 
Now, unless you were running a marathon in Antarctica to the South Pole, you probably would not run a marathon wearing work boots, coveralls, and a heavy coat. You would want to get down to something that was light, uh, that, that fit properly, and have the proper shoes. You, you want, would, would want as little baggage as possible to run. That's what the writer is saying here to the Hebrews. He's saying to them, don't get caught up. Don't get snagged. Be free from the entanglements of life. He really puts them in two categories. The uh, first category is every weight. Now, weights are good if you're training for something, but you actually don't carry those weights into the competition, right? I had a friend of mine, he worked out at the YMCA, and he was a fitness nut. He's just a fitness nut. And uh, in, in every, you know, diet and everything, he's a good Christian brother, but just a, just a fitness nut. He was wearing, while he was working out, a 30-pound vest, weighted vest, while he was weight, lifting weights. And I said to him, brother, I can tell you and I can show you a way you can carry that 30 pounds without having to put that vest on. Yeah, y'all getting it now, aren't you? And he smiled at me. He said, yeah, but I can take mine off and hang it up in the locker when I'm done. Weights can be good things, but in, their, in the wrong place, they can be bad things. So what's some examples? Money is not evil in itself. The Bible does not say the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Hobbies can be good. Relationships are important. Jobs. But any of these things can become a weight if they're keeping you from, from progressing in the race for Christ. What might some of those weights be for you when... When I was in high school, uh, I mentioned earlier I wrestled. I wrestled 138. My right leg weighs 138 pounds now. I, I wrestled 138, and I had to cut weight every week, every week. So there were some things I had to give up. And one of the things I had to give up was chocolate frosted donuts. Yeah. I, I love chocolate frosted donuts. Well, I have three younger brothers, and my mom figured they didn't sign up to cut weight. They didn't sign up for wrestling. They liked chocolate donuts. So guess what was in the refrigerator at our house? It was so tough. I was so tempting. I remember one night before one of our tournaments, I, I was trying to sleep, and I was just hungry. I fell asleep, and I had a dream that I went and ate chocolate donuts and drank Pepsi. That dream was so real, I had to get up and make sure those donuts were still there. Now, chocolate-frosted donuts, a couple here and there probably aren't bad. But if you were training for something, you'd lay them aside. Sometimes we have to lay aside the good for the best. 
But the writer goes on here to say, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. You've probably heard preachers talk about a besetting sin. Something that you struggle with. Maybe the person sitting next to you doesn't struggle with it, but you struggle with it. Uh, maybe it's your temper. Maybe it's in the area of spending. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. You see, in a sense, we are all in recovery, right? We're at some stage, we're recovering sinners. I'd like to tell people in every church service, there's two kinds of people here. Those that are in recovery and those that need recovery. So we all struggle with something. But the writer here uses a definite article. He says, the sin. What is the sin that so easily entangles us? And that sin is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 3, the writer there is talking about the children of Israel and as they're making their way to the promised land, and as they come to the very brink of the promised land, remember God sends some spies in to spy out the land. And he gives this warning. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you of an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God and then in verse 19 so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief sometimes we're hindered in our race because of our unbelief our lack of faith we've gone so far and we believe that's all the farther God wants us to go. But God's challenging us and God's leading us and God's pressing us and, and we lack the faith. When you read that story in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, I, I'm struck by this fact. There were 12 spies that went in and they saw the fruit of the land. They saw what a great, great opportunity this was. But they were scared. Because they fixed their attention upon the giants that were in the land. There were 12 that went in, but we only know the name of two of them, don't we? Joshua and Caleb. I love what Caleb said. When, when the, they gave the, the other 10 gave the evil report, he said, Do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. We're going to eat those guys alive. He said, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I love Caleb. I've had the privilege of pastoring some churches and have some old guys like Caleb in it. Caleb wasn't an old guy at this time. Caleb was about 45 years old. By the way, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of that generation that got to go into the promised land. And when they got there and they said, Caleb, what do you want? Caleb didn't say, well, I, I just want me a cabin just down by the lake where I do a little fishing. And I, I just don't want to be bothered. I, I, Caleb said, no, I want that mountain. 
there's some giants in there that got my name on them. Caleb still had that faith. You see, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your talent level. It doesn't matter your education level. What is your faith level? Don't let unbelief keep you from experiencing God's best. We still got a ways to go. So let's not quit. So discipline number one is what? Be inspired by the faithfulness of others. Discipline number two is be free from the entanglements of life. And discipline number three is be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's interesting here, the, the verb looking means to take your eyes away from and fix your eyes on something. It's not a fleeting glance, it's a fixed gaze. Why is that important today? I'm sure that uh, Brother Greg has had to do this as I've had to do this. and We've bought books from pastors and leaders and, um, and, and read them and devoured them and were inspired by them. Only later to see that that leader fell into some immorality. One of my favorite apologists, Christian apologists. It came out that after, after he had died that uh, he was not what we thought he was. And if you're not careful, those kinds of things can devastate you in your Christian walk. That's why it's important that we may be inspired by the faithfulness of others, but we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite commentators is the late Dr. John Phillips. Dr. John Phillips wrote a series of commentaries called Exploring. And in his Exploring Hebrews, he says, there's something that happens to us when we fix our eyes on Jesus. First of all, we're filled with thoughts of his person. We're filled with thoughts of his person. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our, our faith. The, the word here, founder, means the author or the pioneer. I just finished reading a book about Daniel Boone. And uh, the reason, I, I'm, that, the Wilderness Trail is where our ancestors would have came from. So the chestnuts came through the Wilderness Trail, uh, through South Carolina and over the, over the Cumberland Gap and through that way. And so I wanted to read about Daniel Boone. I'm fascinated by these people who've gone to places no one has been before and blazed the trail for others. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the pioneer of our faith, but he's the perfecter of our faith. There's a lot of people that have started out to do something that never finished, that have quit along the way, but not Jesus. 
be filled with thoughts of his person as we, we think about him. We are filled with thoughts of his passion, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus didn't look forward to the cross. Jesus looked forward to what was beyond the cross. What was that? The redemption of lost men and women, boys and girls, for the glory of God. You may be struggling right now. It may be hard. You, I, I just can't teach this class one more year. I just can't put up with these kids one more time. I, I just can't do it any longer. Look beyond that. Look, look, look beyond that to see what, what's on the other side of that. If you stay in this thing long enough, you're going to see. You're going to see God do some amazing things. But don't quit. And finally, we are filled with thoughts of his position. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the right hand of the throne of God here is not drawing our attention to the place of intercession, but it's really drawing our attention to the place of honor. It's where the champion athlete during the ancient Olympics would sit after he received his laurel wreath at the right hand of the emperor. He'd won the prize. The writer of Hebrews is saying is, Jesus has won the prize. Fix your eyes upon him. One of the things I've noticed about uh, first-class athletes, world-class athletes, if you ever watch them, watch their head. For instance, golfers. It amazes me how, how they can hit the golf ball so far. Uh, and with this violent torque of their body and the twisting of their body, but their head doesn't move. Their head stays down, and their head is focused. Their eyes are focused on the ball. In baseball, the same is true of a baseball swing. Uh, one of my all-time favorite baseball players is Ken Griffey Jr. I think Ken Griffey Jr. has had the sweetest swing in baseball. And if you watch him swing, just watch his head. Everything else is fluid and his head stays still. Same thing's true of sprinters. Next time you get a chance, watch a 100-meter dash and watch the runner's heads. And if you see their heads starting to bob, usually they're not going to do well. Their eyes are focused, whether it's on the ball or on the goal. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. How do you do that? Well, one way to do that is to fix your eyes on Jesus in the scriptures. I... Everybody is busy, right? Everybody is busy. And people say, well, I don't have enough time. We're all given the same 24 hours a day. The question is, what do we spend our time on? I, it amazes me the number of Christians that say they don't have time to read the Bible, but they have time to post comments 
about the latest political activities in Washington on Facebook, but don't have time for Scripture. Can I make a suggestion? Maybe put some of that away and spend some time in the Bible. Amen? When you make this a priority in your life and fixing your eyes upon Jesus, you will start to build endurance in your life. But fix your eyes on Jesus also in the church. See what God is doing in the church. And fix your eyes upon Jesus to see what God is doing in the world. I know a lot of people right now that are kind of freaking out. My thing is, I think they're kind of freaking out because they're listening to the wrong people. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you know that there have been two great awakenings in this country? And in those, both of those great awakenings, prior to the awakening itself, the moral, spiritual condition of our country was abysmal. We would have thought, no way, and then God sends a revival. I believe we could be on the cusp of another revival. But if God's people fix their eyes upon Washington, or they fix their eyes upon the fallen Christians, if they fix their eyes on the wrong things, we're going to miss it. So let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from such sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We're running this race, but we're not running it alone. There was a, another race that Dean Carnesis ran in, and it was called the Relay. And this, this was actually five marathons tacked right on the end of one another and relay teams would run this teams of I think about seven and so you would have spots along the way where you would pick up and maybe you'd run seven miles but you'd do it three different times so they had caravans of, of, of people transporting a team but Dean Carnesis thought I'm not going to run it as a part of a relay team I'm going to run it just by myself 199 miles from Calistoga, California to Santa Cruz. He not only did it once, he not only did it twice, he did it 11 times. And the question everybody wants to know is what? Why? Why? But even though he ran it as an individual, he had a team. You see, he had bought a, a van and they had outfitted it for his wife and his kids and his parents to follow him along the way and they would provide him with food and water along the way and there were certain points that they would stop and he'd interact with them. Uh, he had friends along the way that would meet him and run some of the race with him. Some of the other teams found out what they were doing and they tagged him with the name in his group, Team Dean. Team Dean. 
Now, those other members of the team couldn't run the race for him, but they could encourage him along the way. Nobody can run your race for you. Your race is unique from my race. But guess what? We can encourage one another along the way, right? We can lift up one another along the way. Even though this thing is, is a, a long-distance marathon and uh, not all of us are at the same spot, some of us may be at a good place. The wind's at our back. The sun's out. But some of us are running uphill into gale-force winds. Some of you are doing that this week. And you're going to run and you're going to finish well because... Christ is with you, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you've got a team of people around you. The Bible talks about two paths in life. One is a broad path that goes to destruction. And I want to tell you something about that path. That it, You don't have to worry about a marathon there. It's a party all the way to hell. A broad path that leads to destruction. But there's a narrow way that leads to life. You're on one of those two paths today. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Him, you're on a broad path that leads to destruction. But part of the joy that Jesus saw on the other side of the cross was the salvation of people like that. Maybe today you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe today you're on that broad path, but you're tired and you're weary and you're just about at the point of quitting. Maybe today you just need to come and have others come and pray with you and pray around you. Be inspired. Be inspired by the faithfulness of others, but be an inspiration too. Don't get tangled up in the things of life. And fix your eyes on Jesus. I love the old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. You pray with me.